The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. And Jesus said to his disciples, I've come to set the earth on fire. And oh, how I wish it was already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized. And how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. You think that I've come to establish peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And from now on, a household of five will be divided. Three against two and two against three. A father will be divided against his son and a son against his father and a mother against her daughter and a daughter against her mother and a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Pity the poor mother-in-law. She's always the the punchline, the final punchline. And today, Jesus is 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 delivering a a gut punch. Uh, He's turning everything that we want to believe about sweet and gentle Jesus upside down. And it... It's meant to jar us, and it does jar us. Do you think I've come to establish peace? No. Oh, no, there's something going on, and it's very deep, and it's very profound for today. Jesus is going to confront the powers of the world. He's not going to confront people. You know, the greatest mystery, as our Father Francis has told us so clearly, is the incarnation that that flesh and blood and spirit are one and inseparable, and it's all good. But there is something inside this flesh and blood that Paul refers to as powers and principalities. We are battling those elements in the human being that keep us from being who we are called to be. And today, he says, they're going to have to be confronted. I'm going to have to undergo this baptism. I'm going to have to deal with the power of this world. Now, now, if we've been following Luke all year long, and of course at the beginning of the summer we, uh, we, we heard about, oh, five or six weeks ago, he was resolutely keeping his eyes on Jerusalem. The whole idea is he's going to go to Jerusalem because there he's got to do something. And what he, what he needs to do is to confront that evil head on, face to face the powers of the world, the powers of mendacity, the powers of control, the powers of the lie of the world. And he is coming basically to take away the sin of the world. So he's going to, he's, and today he's saying, what anguish I feel. He's getting antsy. He's getting closer to what he's going to have to go through and he knows how painful it's going to be, but he also knows how powerful it's going to be. And he is in He's getting us ready, not just to witness what he's about to do, but he's getting us ready to follow, to do what he did. He's getting ready for us to to also confront the powers of evil in the world and to name it for what it is and to then pay the consequences. Now, he's able to do this because he's, 
He's on the shoulders of some really great giants, and those are the prophets. Uh, today he is standing on the, the, the shoulders of, of Jeremiah, and we know what happens to the prophets. They end up in the mud. And Jeremiah today is going to end up in the mud. He's, he's telling uh, the, the king uh, that uh, you know, this, this alliance you want to set up with Egypt in order to fight the Babylonians is useless. It's not going to work. You're not going to, this is an unwinnable war. And of course, he's upsetting the status quo. He's upsetting what's called conventional wisdom. That's the thing that everybody thinks of when they're not thinking. And Jeremiah is saying, no, 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 there's something deeper, and this is the wisdom of God, so, so don't, don't go there. And, well, we are demoralizing us, Jeremiah. And so they go to the king and says, we, we, we can't deal with this one. What do we do? He says, he's in your power. Where do they throw him? In the mud. If you are going to be a disciple of God and a prophet of God, you're going to end up in the mud almost every time. There's no way of not getting muddied or bloodied if you're going to follow what the commands of God are because you are always going to upset the powers that be, the apple cart. Jesus knows this. And so today he is building on Jeremiah to do something very different. And the difference is this. Uh, Jeremiah is proclaiming the word of God and what God is saying to him Jesus is the word of God incarnate. And he's taking that incarnation so very seriously that he will take now into his body all the pain, the suffering, the hatred, all that they can throw at him in order to do what? To make it impotent. But not only to make it impotent, but to set a template for those who are coming before us. What's the hermeneutical key to what we are hearing today? What, what is the, 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 the principle of, of unlocking what's, why he's going to go through what he's going to go through? And I think it's, it's stated beautifully in, in, in Hebrews, as Barb read for us this morning, that... that uh, that for the, for the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross despising its shame. And he didn't just despise the shame, he took on the shame. He died naked. He died powerless. And he gave back the only thing that God is capable of giving back. Mercy, forgiveness, and love. But he did not shy away from the evil. The whole thing we say is that this is the one who takes away, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is the sin of the world? It is the great mendacity. It's the great lie that we think that we are separate from God, that we are in control. Thank you very much. And we will hold on to the status quo. And don't you dare upset my apple cart. Don't you dare come and change what's making me comfortable and making me rich and making me where I am. And so he's going to do it. Why? For the sake of what? No. What does he see? He sees the kingdom. It's for the sake of the future. The kingdom of God is at hand. In order to come to the kingdom of God, we have to deal with that which is blocking the kingdom of God. And what is blocking the kingdom of God is nothing less than this arrogance, this principality, this power that dwells in the human soul that has to be confronted. It has to be named. 
And so that's going to set mother against father and brother against sister. Where one will want to maintain the status quo and one is going to have to say, no, no, you've got to look deeper. What he is giving us now is a template for us to follow. And the template is very, very powerful. It's the template that says, what I did, you're going to do. Because the kingdom is not here yet. It's coming, but it's not here yet. And, and, and St. Paul says it clearly, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, we make up what is lacking in his bodily suffering in our bodies. And so we are called to put our bodies on the line. For the sake of what? For the joy that lays ahead. What's that joy? That's seeing the world through the eyes of the Lord. That is seeing where all really are one. There is seeing where there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, where all are called to be one. That's the kingdom. That's God's message. And we are called now to participate in it. How do we know that we are participating in it? When we see it in action. And so today I'd like to go through a, a number of people who have who've done it in action especially in recent history, and to see how it works in the concrete. And the first person I want to look at is, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we know the story of Bonhoeffer. He was a, a German Lutheran theologian. When 1939 came to this country, and, and he was teaching in, in, in New York, and, 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 of course, Hitler was now on the rise, and he knew he had to go home. He was safely ensconced here, but if he stayed here, he could not do what he was being called to do. What is he called to do? Confront. Confront the evil. And so he went back and was part of the conspiracy to, to get rid of that evil and paid the ultimate price for it. And when he was there, he wrote his letters from prison, but I think his piece de resistance is, is the cost of discipleship. And Bonhoeffer said there's no such thing as cheap grace. Cheap grace is, is all um, consolation and no commitment. And he spoke of costly grace. Costly grace means that, well, if you want the pearl of great price, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to sell everything you have in order to pay for the pearl of great price. And he did. He sold all of his integrity and all of the things that kept him safe and all the things that made him popular and famous and, and laid his life on the line for them and paid the ultimate price for that. I'm reminded also of a, another contemporary martyr. Uh, we had Bishop Hicks here yesterday. I knew I was going to like him when I, when I saw him come the first time and he had a little Oscar Romero button on his lapel. And he says, this is pretty good. Uh, Oscar Romero, along with the, the holy women, Ita Ford and Maura Clark and Jean Donovan and Dorothy Cazell, uh, Oscar Romero, when he was made a bishop, he was made a bishop by the powers that be because he was safe. Romero is, is, is the quintessential, if you know the Enneagram, he's the quintessential six, which means everything made him afraid. And he was afraid of his own shadow, and he certainly was afraid of the powers, and so he never said anything against the terrible powers that be until, until he started speaking against the powers that be. 
till he saw one of his own priests murdered, until he began to hear the cry of the poor who begged him to be the voice of the voiceless. And, and I'm told that at the height of his ministry, every Sunday morning and every household of San Salvador, there was a, a radio on listening to his homilies. And what was his homily saying? Stand up against the powers and principalities that are destroying the people of God. What incredible courage. What incredible redemption. And now his life has now radically changed the world. He was condemned by the powers that be, even powers in the Vatican at the time. And now he is held up as one of our saints. You know, we, we do kill the, the prophets, and then we build monuments to them. And it never, ever changes. Yesterday we celebrated the 150th anniversary of the Wheaton Franciscans are the Franciscans here in the United States in 75 years here. And at lunch we were discussing a couple of things that have happened right here when you yourselves were called to stand up to the powers that be, the powers of the status quo. And in the early 60s you, you established low-cost housing. I'm sorry, in DuPage County there's no such thing as low-cost housing until you came along, until you were willing to stand up and say, no, these are the people of God. Our holy work is to make a home for the homeless, and you did. And then we were told that in the late 80s and early 90s, when you were talking about establishing a place called Canticle House for those who are afflicted with HIV, everybody said, NIMBY, not in my backyard. And you said, no, yes, not only in your backyard, but at, at our house, on our property. And of course, they said, can't you just stay in your little convents and say your beads? <laughs> no. No. Why? For the kingdom. For the sake of the future. We, we are one little cog in the great Mandela of life. And we have a very important role to play, and it is exactly the same role that the Master has shown us how to play. Right now, there is a member of the House of Representatives from Wyoming who is going to probably lose her seat in the House this coming Tuesday because she has chosen to choose integrity over expediency, truth over mendacity, democracy over autocracy, policy over party. And she's going to end up in the mud. She's going to end up losing what she thinks she has right now. Why? For the sake of something else. For that which is coming. For the sake of the common good. For the sake of the democracy that we are called to uphold and believe in. Finally, my personal hero is our Holy Father Francis. He really is, in, in many ways, truly a, a modern anomaly. He is a man at the top who knows that the only way through is from the bottom up. 
And on the day that he was named the Holy Father, the Pope, he refused to put on the ermine of office and upset a whole bunch of people who have been upset ever since. Those who call themselves real Catholics. And he's paying the price. And he will continue to pay the price. Of course, the question for us is, are we willing ourselves to pay the price? It really is the the treasure buried and the pearl of great price. And it isn't free. It's going to call for action. It's going to call for us to speak up. It's going to call for us to be honest with those who are around us. But we're doing it not for today. We're doing it for tomorrow. And the day before he died, Martin Luther King proclaimed that I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the other side. I'm not going to get there with you. I'm going to die before that. Oh, but I've seen it. I've seen what the kingdom is supposed to look like, and I am willing to pay the price to usher in that kingdom. In this context, as St. Luke tells us in the beginning of, of his chapters that, uh, that uh, John the Baptist proclaimed, this one's going to baptize you with fire in the Holy Spirit. And today he is proclaiming, oh, how I wish it were ablaze right now. And so our prayer is a prayer for a new Pentecost, beginning with ourselves, that we may be set on fire, fire in the belly, ablaze for the truth, to speak truth to power and not to be afraid of the consequences because of the joy that lies ahead. And so today we can truly pray, come, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your divine love. O send forth your spirit and we shall be transformed and recreated and you shall renew the face of the earth. And so today we say to him, you lead, we will follow. And the people said, Amen.